The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to talk about this month's MarTech news. Joining us is Juan Mendoza, who is the author of the MarTech Weekly, which is a weekly email newsletter to help you navigate the marketing and technology industry with thousands of subscribers from the world's largest company. The TMW serves as our newsletter here on the MarTech Podcast. And today, Juan and I are going to discuss his launch of the TMW 100 Awards. Yesterday, Juan and I talked about why he's launching the TMW 100 Awards for the MarTech industry. And today, we're going to continue the conversation talking about what is the Griftiverse? All right, here's the second part of my conversation with Juan Mendoza, the author of the MarTech Weekly. Juan, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Hey, Ben, it's always good to be with you, buddy. Always good to have you on the show, Juan. Excited that yesterday we got to talk about your new project, the TMW 100, the big awards that you're putting together for the entire MarTech industry. We're all going to get together, we're going to vote, and we're going to figure out who's the most innovative company in the space this year. But it's not just MarTech that we want to talk about. We talk about how to use technology to market products or services. And there's something that you wrote about that I thought was specifically interesting mostly not just for marketers that are working in sort of the B2B SaaS enterprise e-commerce, but the notion of the consumer economy that's been growing. It's the space that you and I both work in, and it's not always people that have the best of intentions at heart. Talk to me about what your concept of the Griftiverse is. Well, we're no strangers at TMW to inventing weird words. You know, We're probably part of the problem of um, buzzwords at this point, Ben, but the Griftiverse, what is it? Well, Grifter on one side and Verse on the other, right? And it's a bit of a play on words because over the past couple of years, we've been talking about the metaverse. And that ended up becoming a trend that kind of fell into nothing. Nobody talks about it anymore, but it was a massive hype cycle just two years back. So you got the metaverse on one side, and then you've got this concept of the grifter. Now, let me tell you what a grifter is. Well, the idea of a grifter is more than 100 years old. It's defined as somebody who relies on sophisticated skills to trick, deceive people out of their money and out of their talents without committing acts of violence. So a grifter is kind of like the shady person you see maybe down on the main street where they're trying to sell you trinkets or an old watch that they stole off the back of a van or somebody that's trying to sell you a get rich quick course, you know. So the idea of a grifter 
is somebody sort of quite deceptive, quite influential, very motivating to pull people into certain things they may actually regret later. So like a podcast host. No, Ben, you're not a <laughs> grifter. Come on. Podcast hosts are great, right? Because you're here to like explore the world and understand things. You're Until not... I hit you with a sponsorship pitch, but yeah, no, I hear you. <laughs> well, you're down on the street level trying to sell me a stolen watch off the back of a van. That ain't you, Ben. My dad bought a Roldex once in New York, right? It wasn't a Rolex. It was misspelled. And he was a kid in like back of a van or something like that. But he took it home. And I think my, my mom pointed out to him that it wasn't a Rolex. Anyway, the grifter, right? All of the people that are trying to scam you out of your money. And I make the joke of, oh, a podcast host. But in reality, it's hard to tell what's a get rich quick scheme and what is a legitimate try to help you self-development place where you can find education. I bought a course last week. Ben Meir does a uh, how to use your LinkedIn profile for lead generation if you're a creator. We've been trying to figure out how to find more people that are interested in having us produce their podcasts. And I got a, a tremendous amount of value from the course. Cost 150 bucks. Ben, I loved your course. Thank you very much for putting it together. Ben's selling online courses on how to get people to buy stuff using LinkedIn. How do I tell the difference between him and a grifter? Maybe if we take a step back and talk about the impact of the grifter on the internet, the FTC estimated that last year, consumers lost $8.8 .8 billion in deceptive scams. So that's online. And when internet grifters are left unchecked, and I think this is the problem is that when we have these open social networks, anyone can use Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever these platforms, everyone's got an email address. If we don't say cryptocurrency somewhere in this podcast, I feel like we're not doing it justice. It's like grifter central. Exactly. But if you go back to the end of 2020, the start of 2021, the concept of Web3 and crypto being a shady, deceptive place where you're going to lose a lot of money, that didn't exist. It was like this new internet future that we're all building together, decentralized and invest into this shitcoin or this NFT or this thing. And it's going to return a huge yield, a big return for you because you're in early on this new horizon of innovation. But it ended up turning into a massive dumpster fire of grift. I mean, oh my goodness, even looking at just the past two weeks, Binance now are being sued by the FTC because of their deceptive practices of trying to pull in US consumers without following regulation. It's just unbelievable how much that's imploded. And that's kind of what triggered this whole essay was like, there's no barrier to friction for schemesters, fraudsters, course sellers, trend pushers, appointment setters to get their wares out there to build an audience. It means that the risk and the potential for deceiving large amounts of people is even greater. And what that does to the internet is it makes it more unusable, right? The more people get harmed or financially swindled out of their out of their money, it means that the less they're going to use these services, which means it's not going to be great for marketers, right? And that's a big challenge because marketers won't have good channels where people actually trust the information and content they're seeing and they stick around and they stick around for a while. That's why I kind of wrote this piece. We're in this really interesting phase where there is a lot of fraud happening online. And how do we reckon with that? How do we understand it? I guess the question for you is, is our online lifestyle creating an opportunity for more fraud? Or are we just doing a better job tracking the fraud that has been happening all along, right? Have people always been deceptive and bad people are out there? But now, great, they're being cookied. They're being tracked and we can understand and evaluate and quantify it. How do you figure out if it's actually getting worse or not? I think that there's more opportunities for people to build audiences and to sell deceptive things. It's easier for people to do it, right? They don't have to go out into the world and try and sell people stuff. The distribution channels are really easy. Anyone can use them. You can be anonymous online and build a big audience. So I think that lowering the barrier of entry means that you're going to have more people doing deceptive things online. But on the other side, 
yeah, it probably does shine a light, right? Like the problem with media and our lizard brains is that we are attracted to stories of fraud. The classic thing that you would hear in newsrooms is that if it bleeds, it leads, which basically means if there was violence or some kind of crime, it's going to attract an audience. So that kind of adds to the problem as well, right? Because you call someone out or there's a big fraud case. Like think about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. She just went to prison for 11 years and the news are still covering her, right? Because if it bleeds, it leads, right? Massive fraudster, decepted so many customers and investors. And it became a massive story, best-selling book from the Wall Street Journal. Unbelievable. And so I think the media has an interesting role to play here on highlighting. And the more that people see these deceptive scams go out and how much they make, I think it entices people to get into it as well. So to answer your question, man, I think it's a bit of both. I think it's a bit of both. In my head, and I'll be a little crass here, the barrier to entry to be a small-time asshole is lower. But the risk, if you're a big asshole, is infinitely more. Everybody knows what happened with Bernie Madoff. The media cycle and these stories are so easy to syndicate and they're so popular that if you are successful as a grifter, you are eventually going to shine the spotlight on yourself and become the next Bernie Madoff, Sam Bankman-Fried. We all have these names in our lexicon now because the grift ends at some point. So walk me through some of the other things that you said in the article. We understand that there is this like notion of there's bad people that are online and the internet and it's a problem and media is highlighting them. What else did you cover? I wanted to talk about the concept of the solopreneur. Do you know what a solopreneur is, Ben? I'm a solopreneur. This person that works on his own and is an entrepreneur that works for himself. Don't talk bad. Look, I guess you could say by that definition, I'm a solopreneur as well, right? But there's one angle on this, which I think is quite interesting when we think about selling some kind of dream to sell a course or it's coaching or a masterclass. There's this concept of solopreneurship. And it's propagated by folks like Jack Butcher, David Perel, Justin Welsh, Daniel Vivasalo. All of them are like LinkedIn and Twitter personalities, big audiences, very influential people. And they kind of emerged out of COVID when everyone was online and a lot of people lost their jobs. And they kind of have this viewpoint, which is like you can build a one-person business by selling some digital piece of content, whether it be ads on a newsletter or a podcast or an online course. But the problem with these folks, and the thing I think is quite grating and kind of contributes to this whole situation, is that it is very circular. So in this essay, I talk about how a lot of these folks built an audience by selling a course about building an audience. And then the course is successful, and then they post about the success of their course, whether it be a Shopify screenshot of all the orders they got on their iPhone, or it's an ARR chart of their annual recurring revenue, or, or amazing life that they get to have. They're selling this dream that you can build an audience by selling courses about how to build an audience. And I think that whole definition is really circular. And again, it's not someone selling you a dodgy watch in New York or trying to swindle you your money out, say, with crypto. It's a different type of grift. I think it's a different type of circular promise making saying you can make a lot of money. You can escape the nine to five grind, slave wage labor. You can have the life that you want. All you need to do is spend two ninety nine in our course and you can start escaping it. And these folks, they're very influential. A lot of marketers follow them. But I think that it's worth criticizing because, well, there's only so many people out there that could build an audience around selling a course about building an audience and following that circular train. And I look at it and I'm like, what a waste of time. Some of these folks, they used to work like in really great health tech companies, really great ad agencies. And it just seems like it's not worth the time to build something that doesn't have that same value add, I guess. 
And I think that a lot of people are deceived by that. They get into this, they spend the money, they join the courses, they do all this effort, and they kind of follow the template of these influencers, and they don't actually get the outcome that they're after because following somebody else's advice to a T just never works. You have to have your own ingenuity, your own ideas, your own way to build your own audiences and to sell your own products. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. I have such mixed emotions about this topic because solopreneurship. I left my last startup job, started an independent consulting business where I was the product. It was my knowledge and business strategies was what I was selling. That turned into creating a podcast. Now I run a media company where technically I'm the only employee of the company. There's 15 different people that are freelancers and contractors spread around the world. But I hear everything is my company. I still consider me to be a solopreneur. And honestly, Todd's been here since the beginning. So maybe it's not fair anymore, but maybe I'm selfish. A little bit of a solopreneurship. I'm going to insult everybody on my team that's editing this podcast. But. <laughs> but your story, Ben, from what I've gathered so far, you started the Martech podcast because you were wanting to get distribution for your consulting practice. And I remember you telling me the story of the first episode you did, and you were just very curious about this person's life that you met in a taxi. Mm -hmm. At that stage, you didn't download a course, and you, your goal wasn't to be some influential audience-building person. You were looking at distribution, and you learned along the way, right? So you built a really successful podcast company. You're getting 10x in a single month. You're getting 10x of podcast downloads for some of your shows. But you learned that through trial and error, a lot of effort, a lot of hard work over many, many years. And I think that's the point. Right. But on the flip side, I'm a solopreneur who you can hire to create a podcast because I've created a podcast and so can you. There's so much nuance between legitimate content that is useful. I took this course on social media and I changed my LinkedIn profile and it's much more logical and it's much more concise and it's sort of positioning my LinkedIn profile to be a sales channel as opposed to be a media distribution outlet. 
And that's the purpose of my LinkedIn profile right now. It's not about me just talking about stuff. It's about me meeting people and hopefully they find our services and buy something, right? It's a marketing channel. But I'm a solopreneur. I'm a creator. I'm selling products or services. Like it's so hard to figure out who is a grifter. That's really the meat of this is like, yes, there are people that are out there that are using shady tactics with information, which isn't true. And they are taking advantage of other people and stealing their money and not providing value. And then there's legitimate creators that are creating courses that are useful that help people get value. Like, how do you figure out who's who? I think a story might help illustrate. So there is this one influencer and he runs a design, a subscription-based design consultancy called DesignJoy. And he recently started selling courses on how to build a one-man design agency, right? And what you do, DesignJoy, it's like a dream come true, right? You get on-demand designers basically anytime you want, a turnaround time of about 24 hours, and you pay a monthly subscription fee. That's all you do. So you don't have to like get a quote from a designer. You just sign up for the subscription and then they'll do designs, whatever you want to design, a website, whatever. It's 99 designs for whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So he ran it and then he built this idea and then it became somewhat successful. So we built a course on how to do that and how to become a solopreneur by building an agency. And then only just in the past few weeks, people started coming out to say, we got the subscription. It takes two weeks to get designs back. Like he's not delivering on these promises and things are starting to implode on him, right? A lot of criticism. And that's what I'm saying is that I think that there's no shortage of desperate people on the internet, right? The majority of the world live in poverty. And when you give everyone in the world billions of people an internet connection and you say to them, hey, all you need to do is to create, build an audience, to sell this course and promise people the world people latch onto that. And I think that it's manipulation. And that's not what you're doing, Ben. I don't think you're doing that. You're actually trying to help companies build successful content channels by taking the lessons you've learned over many years, hard-won lessons, and building and scaling that. That's not talking to a young person, a 20-year-old guy with no money and saying, hey, if you get involved with crypto, or if you get involved in building a course that sells other courses, or some other shady tactic, you'll get rich really quick. And then you can go and buy your Lamborghini. Very, very different. And so I think that that's the challenge. That's what great for me personally is that it preys on vulnerable people that don't have resources and gives them a promise that they can do it by following the certain thought leaders tactics. And I think that's probably the saddest bit in the whole Rift-averse concept. The first job I had at a college was basically a door-to-door sales job where I was going into businesses and telling them that they should use AT&T phone services instead of Verizon, even though AT&T cost more. And I was actually pretty successful. I felt like a grifter, right? And some people were just pissed off at Verizon and were just looking for a reason to change. And when I walked in, they're like, great, here you go. I would never call myself a grifter. I would never intentionally take someone's money and not try to provide value. But I do think that working in that experience gave me the understanding that not all businesses are necessarily out for the best intent of their customers. It was a terribly shady company that I was working for that had business practices that eventually made me leave. I learned a tremendous amount about sales by going through their sales training process, but it wasn't a legitimate company. There's this movie Boiler Room has Ben Affleck in it. Have you ever seen Boiler Room? No. Oh, amazing movie. It's about stockbrokers and how you can basically sell penny stocks by continuing to call people and badger them into buying a bunch of stuff. Oh, so it's like Wolf of Wall Street, right? Wolf of Wall Street before Wolf of Wall Street. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Great movie. Worth a watch. And Ben Affleck has a very epic scene where he throws his Ferrari keys on the table and says, let me tell you what's required for you to be able to live a lifestyle like mine. 
I think people do want to follow templates. And I think sometimes there are good templates that are out there. And there are people that have been there and done that, that use a course to reach many people. I don't think that everyone that is trying to provide value is running a get rich quick scheme if it's a course. There are people that are trying to take advantage of you. It's really up to the individual person's discretion to understand and sanity check. Is this person legitimate? Sometimes it takes a little bit more effort and homework to do your research. We always want to be impulsive and we always want to get rich quick now. Maybe the best thing to do is be on the get rich slow plan. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Juan Mendoza, the author of the MarTech Weekly, for joining us. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Juan, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is Juan Mendoza. It's spelled totally crazy pants. It's J-U-4-N-M-E-N-D-0-Z-4. Or you could visit his company's website, which is themartechweekly.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.